0: Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training, a constructional guide to becoming your horse's best friend, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Joe Lang, about schedules of reinforcement. Last week, Joe got us started by describing the four basic types of schedules that you're likely to encounter. So you have fixed interval schedules and variable interval schedules, and they're both time-based, and then there are fixed ratio and variable ratio schedules, and those refer to the number of responses. Remember that the work that Joe is talking about is based on laboratory studies. These studies may provide insights in terms of what we observe in the natural world, and there may indeed be practical applications that we can draw from some of these studies. But it's important to remember when we talk about the different schedules that we're about to get into, and all the manipulations that are possible, we're not suggesting that this is what you should be doing with your horses. We aren't trying to turn our horse stalls into lab chambers. But as you listen to this conversation, you may find yourself connecting up some dots in terms of the behavior you've observed. And each one of you listening to this may find different dots to connect. Joe has packed a lot into this conversation, so that's very possible. So let the head spinning begin. Have fun.
1: And where this is important, it has to do with certain drugs and certain ex- experiments and certain uh, things. So, for example, you give an amphetamine on a schedule that's b- maintaining behavior in a very low rate. Let's say like on these fixed interval schedules okay. or a low rate VI with, with showing a, a low rate and I give them an amphetamine, the rate will increase. So amphetamine as a result of increasing the rate of responding. Okay. Whereas if I give, get an animal going on a high VR where they're responding like crazy. Now I give them the same amphetamine, same animal, the rate will decrease. So the drug has a different effect based upon the schedule maintaining the behavior of the animal. And so these are schedule-determined effects of the drugs. Yeah. So what was discovered is that drugs don't have a singular effect on behavior. Sure. The function of the environmental conditions arranged by the investigator.
0: Well, that's important. Well, It's
1: very important. It, when you think about it, too, it has some applied implications, such that People say, "Well, this this young person is all over the place, and we gave him this uh, amphetamine-derived drug. Yeah. Well, many of them are, and it calmed them down. Well, it'll calm down any high rate, <laughs> no matter how how it's established, right? <laughs> and so its its effects are on the rate, not under necessarily some underlying condition." Is the is the point there? Yeah. Right? And but so,
2: why why does that happen? Does it make the reinforcer less appealing? Why is the no, amphetamine? And
1: uh, in, in, well, there's uh, that there, 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 there there's more to this. That even makes it more confusing.
2: Because usually, when you read about all those schedules, there's a logical reason for why it changes the the I, pattern I, of response. Right. It, it makes total sense and you can make all these parallels to, with well, everyday I'll, I'll, life and it makes sense. but here I can't find one. Well,
1: I'll tell you one that theory hypothesis rather that was that was proposed and maybe has a little bit of validity to it. but there's some been, some other experiments which call that into question. And that is that if you know how neurotransmitters work, in other words, they the neurotransmitter, and particularly in the systems which this is in, in is affecting, these drugs, they release a uh, neurotransmitters into the synaptic cleft. They kind of float across, metaphorically, yes. float across and activate receptors on the other side. Right.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You got dendrite to axon connectivity, and then it creates and enough of them summate and it creates an action potential that's propagated along the cell, and and that stimulates the next cell and so forth, right? Well, when you're given an amphetamine, it releases these neurotransmitters. And when it releases those neurotransmitters, it's flooding this next cell with the neurotransmitters then that typically wouldn't happen without the drug. And so mm-hmm. you're getting more stimulation. Well, one of the, you're also, when you're behaving at high rates, a lot of this neurotransmitter is being dumped. And so one of the theories is you basically run out of neurotransmitter. And so there's not enough going across to stimulate as it was, so the rate goes down. And the, in other words, it, you're running out empty. <laughs> You've used up all the gas in the in the nerve cells, so you can't send any more across. Also, in certain types of amphetamines, they'll actually go into vacuoles where the neurotransmitter is brought up. There's a process that returns it to these vacuoles, but there's some indication that there was amphetamines would take up the space in there, and so you couldn't return it as well. So you couldn't get a recovery as fast either. That was one proposition that was put forth as to the reason, but James Barrett third ran some interesting experiments. Now remember, those are amphetamines, but how about if I take like Librium, a tranquilizer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I give it to the animal, and the ones on the very low level of performance rate will actually increase, and the ones at the high rates will decrease. <laughs> All right? In other words, the tranquilizer will bring down the high rate, it'll increase the low rate the opposite of the amphetamine. Mm -hmm. But now, there's a problem. And this was an experiment run by James Barrett III back in the early 80s and early 70s. And there's probably been subsequent research that I'm not familiar with. So, you know, people listening to the podcast may be able to come up with newer stuff. But he did a fascinating experiment where he now maintained the same schedules, but with a different consequence. Instead of food, he used the termination of a stimulus paired with shock so the animal didn't get the shock because it terminated the stimulus but it was on a a, you know a ratio schedule with high rates or an interval schedule with low rates and now you give the amphetamines it has the opposite effect the high rates will increase and the low rates will get down or be unaffected. Same with the Librium.
2: In avoid, when there and, are in avoidance.
1: Uh, and you know, instead of bringing down the rate and now go up, and another, in other words, it reverses the effects. So what, what you saw was-
0: So it can't be just a mechanical explanation. Yeah. So it's the
1: interaction of the schedule plus the, the reinforcing event. Right. Was and so all of a sudden it made the, the picture even more complex. But what we saw was there is no singular effect of a drug.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's within, the, and particularly these behavioral drugs. It's not, you know, I'm not talking about chemotherapy or whatever. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the drugs that affect behavior. And so that it's always in the context of the environment mm-hmm. of which the organism responds and is responding to. And the same is true of most of the psychotropic drugs given in psychiatric facilities and clinical. These are also going to interact with what the environment is that the individual is in. And that's been demonstrated by a really fascinating experiment by Gordon Paul back when there were state hospitals. And he was able to demonstrate that the drug effects, the effects of the drugs that were given had predictably different effects, given different environments that mm-hmm. the patients were in, and how the contingencies were arranged for them. And so there wasn't an effect. Unfortunately, most medical doctors, psychiatrists, and so on are totally unaware of these data. By the way, <laughs> but the and most many current behavior analysts are unaware of it. But the fact is, you have to be very, very cognizant of the environment you're in. And the schedules are so determined. So this is one of the reasons understanding about schedules is so important. Is, isn't so much the fact that if I'm working with someone in a clinic, that I'm going to look at their particular schedule. But what it does tell me is I need to look at what's going on in their life and how that's related to the reinforcers to understand how I can either use or discontinue certain medications, for example. And so we were pretty successful at weaning people off medications, understanding the effects of the drugs on behavior and how it works.
0: People who have, particularly these days, with the dogs that stress when they're left alone, they're given a lot of drugs to try and control that behavior. And what you're saying is, if you have one of those dogs and your vet is urging you to put your dog on some form of medication, this would be worth exploring before you just yeah,
1: go right. ahead. And, yeah, and, and probably the meds are affecting the rate of responding on your dog and not the underly, so-called underlying anxiety. <laughs> right. right. And so forth. And the uh, But if the dog's behavior is maintained on one particular type of schedule versus another, you're going to have differential effects of these drugs. They're not going to have the same effect on each dog. And it doesn't necessarily because of the breed of the dog it can be on the basis of the schedule, maintaining the behavior of the dog that you're medicating. And so the uh, most. But
2: even even without the drugs, if you change the schedule of reinforcement, you'll change the behavior because the the behavior is very adaptable and you can reverse things. Oh, yeah. But it may take some time.
1: Well, it may take a little bit of time. It, it takes knowing your bananas a little bit too <laughs> in terms of how you how you arrange these things most folks you know go to work every day and come home every day and have to deal with stuff they're not you know investigating schedules of reinforcement you know they're just you know they've haphazardly put their dog on a variable interval schedule of reinforcement <laughs> and they have no idea that they've done that right it's not wasn't it a plan and it, they don't know that they've done it and they wouldn't recognize it if it if, until it comes out and bites them, and that's intended. The But there are other schedules, right? I mean, we, we're just scratching the surface. We talked about four basic ones, one, two timer groups, one variable, one fixed, two count, one variable, one fixed. But- well,
0: Before you get to the, to the yeah. others, I have a question. If you were doing a human study mm-hmm. using these basic four schedules, would the person- be able to identify correctly what schedule, what type of schedule they were under.
1: Sometimes. It depends on their history and their training. And what, you know, if you give them a a course on scheduled reinforcement and put them on, they'll probably be able to do it.
0: If you take your your normal human lab rat, which is a undergrad that you've pulled in off the, would they begin to recognize that they were under
1: Sometimes they can. And sometimes they'll describe a schedule to you. Oh, I found out that if I press early on, nothing happens. And if I press later, I'm getting my rewards. So I'm going to, I learned that I, it's better for me just to press later. Right. So they'll say something like that. And if, and by the way, if there's very little change in the reinforcement rate, and, and, and I mean, initial change, and there's very little effort in the response sometimes they'll keep that pattern even when the schedule changes and people say oh they're insensitive to the schedule to the new schedule they become insensitive to it and a lot of that is a function of the response effort in other words you have to induce variability into behavior for it to come in contact with the new schedule reinforcement and if the reinforcement rate is okay or the reinforcers aren't that potent, I'm basically there because, you know, the investigator told me I have to be here for a half an hour and I don't really care about the points when I'm doing it anyhow. When I'm getting the points, that's great. But, you know, I'm just sitting here passing this thing. There's a lot of things that operate in these human experiments that are seldom addressed as much as they need to be. And so a lot of people make wild claims. But basically, there's a guy by the name of Harold Wiener who some years ago did a series of experiments with humans, whereby he used different sequences of schedules. And based on these sequences, he could either make the people very sensitive to the next schedule that's coming on or completely insensitive to it yeah. based upon the history of schedules that they had. So there's a schedule called the differential reinforcement of low rate. Here's where you combine a counter with the timer. And so what I do is I'll say, I'll start a timer for 20 seconds. It'll start counting down, just like the fixed interval. Right. When it reaches zero, locks on completion. The next response is reinforced. However, if a response occurs during the countdown, I mean the time down, not the countdown, but the time down, it resets the timer.
2: Mm.
1: And no That's reinforcement. nasty. <laughs> so I have to keep my hands off mm. until 20 seconds has elapsed. Then, when I press, I get it. This is called a differential reinforcement of low rate. Under those schedules, going from a history of variable ratio schedule where you're responding like crazy, and then I switch it to a DRL, you just keep responding like crazy. And, how, and then sometimes you sit back and go, oh, damn, well, I better, what's going on here? And you go press it, and you get the reinforcement. Bing! You'll be back going like this again, <laughs> right? And and it's it's very very people can't see what I was doing. I was pressing like crazy, yeah. but the it's very different. So the history of schedules will function to make you more or less likely to engage. Now, if I'm on a fixed interval schedule, it's more likely the DRL. Well, I'll come in contact with that, yeah. and and do it this way. And so, but there's interesting things about these schedules, the DRL and so on. There's also the DRH. And that is the differential reinforcement of high rate, which means now you have to that interval requires not only the interval, but a certain number of responses have been admitted, emitted. So okay, here's an interval, but you got to remit 50 responses. So the first response, the 51st response or the 50th response will be reinforced in this interval. Right? So the you can emit more. I might do 70 responses. So it's not based on the count. It's based on the timer. But at least 50 responses had to have occurred. So that's called a differential reinforcement of high rate. You can get really high rates of responding. So you can mix. This is what I mean by mixing these schedules up with timers and counters. What's fascinating is the byproducts. So... On the differential reinforcement of low rate schedule, investigators Bernie Weiss and Victor Ladies found that rats would pick their tails up and chew them. They would pick their tails up in their hands and chew on chew their them. tails during the different during the intervals of the DRL schedules. Wow. And they would actually be bloody. They chew them so much. In mm-hmm. essence, there was an interim behaviors that occurred that kept them from pressing the lever, basically, right? Right. And these were actually self-destructive. Wow. The animal gnaw on its own tail. So many of the behaviors we might see in animals can be a function of these schedules and the outcome. And this is called, in their case, it was called interim behavior. And they thought, they looked at it as mediating the time. In other words, I chew for a while and then I press, right? And if you put certain activities in that will allow an animal to engage in, they'll do that in order to kind of time down the, the schedules to the DRL or at some of the other interval schedules. Another fascinating thing is that these interval schedules in particular, some racial schedules with certain post-reinforcement pauses also show these effects, but mostly these interval schedules will result in a great deal of adjunctive behavior. And that is behavior that occurs as a result of the schedule, but is not directly programmed as part of the schedule. words, there's no requirement for it. And John Falk was one of the first to identify these. If I take a water bottle and put it in a rat's chamber while it's pressing the lever, the reinforcement occurs, there'll be a little pause there, and the animal will begin to walk over and lick the water bottle, the water, and it will drink so much that it will excessively drink two to three times the amount that it would normally drink, and I said or more. It drinks excessively, and this was called polydipsia, right? The excessive drinking of water. Well, you put them on these schedules, and every rat will walk over there and drink excessively. And so the interesting part is that it may not be the water that is the crucial variable there, because if you have just air coming out of the little licking thing you put a shroom so when they lick they can get a little thing of air comes out they'll go look like crazy on that too so it doesn't have to be water
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so it's just the history of licking a spout is what's required in that condition you put a running wheel in and they'll run like crazy you put a, a, a piece of wood to gnaw and they'll go over and gnaw the wood So these are a whole range of adjunctive behaviors that occur as a function of the schedule. And we got in our rats a whole range and could control schedule-induced defecation. Hmm. So we could actually control when the animal, and it would do it excessively. So we began to look at this in terms of gastro, you know, intestinal types of maladies that people have. And we actually did some research for that and worked with some medical doctors who would examine our rats. Well, it wasn't good for the rat although they got examined. <laughs> They'd open them up and look at their guts, literally. <laughs> because you can't do that with humans and, and so on. And they did a great deal of research on, on what were the effects of these schedules, the, the digestion and so on of food. And what's a, you know, we're looking at it in terms of irritable bowel syndrome and so on. And we were, in our clinical work, able to, Help people change their patterns to control some of these symptoms. Result of this work we did in our laboratory, which is published work, and uh, on schedule-induced defecation. So these schedules then affect us in a variety of ways that uh, that well, we typically aren't
0: aware. A major, a major problem that many horse owners are faced with is overeating their horses. That horses. Horses require gut fill because horses produce acid on a continuous basis because they're grazers, unlike what we do. So -hmm. they need gut fill, but they can easily overeat. And there are individuals that simply do not self-regulate the amount that they eat. It has really severe health consequences. And then there are other horses that you can give them free choice hay and they regulate their they regulate their eating just fine. So it would seem to me that this would be an area that would definitely be interesting for somebody to explore of right. could you control through schedules?
1: Yeah. What eating? is what is the horse during during the day before and after their eating? And what are their I mean, do they have is there a certain exercise time that occurs every day at a certain period of time? Or in other words, or does it occur variably or does it occur constantly? I mean, there's a range of things. I'm not, I have no expert right, in this. Right, right, right. And I, you know, but what I begin to look at is what are the are the interval requirements of behavior that the horse is experiencing? In other words, what is is there anything that's happening on a very routine basis? For example, we found in a couple of our people we're working with, They work jobs that had very temporal requirements of when they had to do things. And when we mix that up, some of their symptoms went away. So these things have, you know, it's worth looking at. I can't say what it is or isn't, or or even if that applies, but but it would be worth examining. Yes. Yes. Some of these things, right? Um, But the adjunctive behavior has been known in children, in all species, by the way. They've got adjunctive behavior in turtles. So the, the fact is that it's, it's a, it's, it occurs, and I believe even in, I think in bees, I think, have been shown to engage in adjunctive behaviors. So the, but this is an area that is, that is somewhat neglected. And recently, some people wrote, I've been in communication with, they've talked to me how they've been able to understand, they work with children diagnosed with autism, and they're engaged in all these kind of behaviors that seem to not be related to anything, and <laughs> they. They found out that it was all junked. That when they changed their routine and their schedule, all that went away, and without any direct intervention. So the uh, so injunctive behavior is very very important in our lives, and in, in terms of how it affects us, and it's often overlooked, not only with animals but with humans. So it's 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 very important. So the-
2: these behaviors do they typically happen? So there's a fixed interval, but do they typically happen when there's low rate of reinforcement or not necessarily?
1: It it typically occurs depending upon the interval. So it's the inner reinforcement time.
2: Right. It's a long interval.
1: Right. Or longer. So for pigeons, for aggression in pigeons, for example, pigeons will aggress against another pigeon at about a fixed interval, 40 seconds.
2: If it's less than that, they they won't
1: attack. 40, they get plenty aggressive. Longer, they tend not to be as aggressive. (laughs) So, so the, so the, so it's not simply the interview enforcement. And it's, so it's a, it's, it's a, it's much more complex picture than that. So at a fixed interval 42nd and and another pigeon will go and tear another pigeon apart who's in, in the chamber. And, and. These schedules have been shown to control the social behavior of animals as well. The uh, so exa- example, of investigators uh, Davison Wheeler, that's right, took these hooded rats, and they had them. They're in a chamber, a little larger than typical chamber, but each rat had its lever, and each rat had its food hopper. Same chamber though. And the rats were taught to press a lever on a fixed-ratio schedule of reinforcement in other words they pecked at a fixed number of times they got the food fixed number of times got the food both of them and they put the rats in the chamber they'd go in and they would ignore each other <laughs> <laughs> i i can't take time to, to hang out with you because if i do my rate of reinforcement drops dramatically right yeah. i don't can't i can't take time to socialize then they took one rat and they put it on an interval schedule And the other rat is on a ratio. Well, the rat on the interval schedule had time on its
0: hands,
1: (laughs) so it would wander over and actually press the lever of the other rat. Hey, what are you doing over here? I'm pressing. And the other rat would say, "Hey, you want to press this lever? Be my guest." And it would let him press the lever, and so they press the lever together, right? And he'd go and the guy would run and eat. And by that time, the other guy would run back to his because the timer was there and he'd press the lever and eat, right? So it got to be where there's a social interaction where one would leave. But the one on the ratio would never go over to the other one, mm-hmm. right? They could reverse it. So now I'm the other one's on the ratio, the other one's on interval, and I'll go over to and go to that one. So it was shown that it wasn't just like a sociable rat. Their social behaviors change. Well, then they put them on a DRL now remember that a press before the timer times down results Jeez. in no food and i'm trained on DRL. and i'll put them in there it's same cool. rats and whereas before the rat was welcome to press the lever now it would come over to go try to press the lever and it'd be attacked and this one would wander over to the other one and they'd be attacked so they attack each other if they got close to their lever whereas when they're on the racial schedules, they welcomed them in. Mm -hmm. And these are published studies. What was interesting, though, at the back of the cage where there was no lever, they got together and played and groomed each other. But as soon as they drifted over towards the lever, that's when the attacks occurred. And so what you saw was that the contingencies govern the social behavior, play and otherwise with the rats, in terms of how they were earning their food. And so this is why it's so interesting, all of these schedules and so forth, and what one does with them. And so and what do what, you
0: do with them? because in the in the real world, and I'm working with my horses through the course of the day, I'm right. not thinking, well, now I'm on a variable ratio schedule and now I'm on a fixed interval schedule. I'm not thinking in those terms. Should I, I be?
1: No, but you know, what's interesting, game designers are. I sent you that article on, on game design, right? And it shows how they manipulate the play in these games through explicit manipulation of reinforcement schedules within the context of the games. And so if animal trainers would learn from the game designers, they probably could get some more interesting behaviors and maybe more fruitful behaviors from their animals if they did apply these and looked at them in the applied sets. So in the interval schedules, you get more exploratory behavior, more highly variable behavior. So if you wanna maintain behavior, but you also want more variability in it, and you want the algorithm to do something else, you'd use an interval schedule. If you want that animal's full attention and fixed on that task, and just, just on that, you'd use a racial schedule, right? There's also ways of, interesting enough, There's where you have concurrent schedules. Here, you might have two schedules, both available, and the animal can choose to do either one, right? So if I'm running concurrent variable interval schedules of reinforcement, and I'm going to have one, let's say, a VI-30, and the other one's a VI-60. So the VI-30 is much more dense reinforcement rate, right? Right. Well, the animal won't stick with the VI-30. It'll go over and press on the other one for a while. Or peck the key on the other one for a while. Why is that? Well, because if I get a run, remember, it's an average, right? Right. If I have a run of short inner reinforcement times, that means the long ones are coming. And the long ones coming means it's depressing the behavior on that pecking that key, because now it's reinforcement. So they come to discriminate the inner reinforcement, trial, <laughs> inner reinforcement intervals. The long ones are now coming. That means the rate of behavior on this one will drop. They'll switch over to the next one because remember, it's set up. Even if it's a longer, it, the first peck will be reinforced. So it'll go over there and peck bang and get, and so they'll peck on this one for a while, right? Now this one's all set up, and so when the rate gets lean on this one, they'll switch back, and that's what they derive the matching law from. You'll hear the matching Mm -hmm. law. In other words, the relative rate of responding is roughly equivalent to the relative rate of reinforcement on each alternative. Mm -hmm. And so you'll distribute your behavior between the alternatives based upon the relative rate of reinforcement on each alternative. And Mm -hmm. there's a molar view of this, that the animal's matching some overall rates between the two and they're and they're going through this and there's a molecular view that what's happening is that the animal it's more of an induction in other words you know we talk about schedule induced behavior whereas this long intervals are starting to go that makes it more likely that other behaviors reoccur the last reinforced other behavior that reoccurred was pecking the key on the other side (laughs) and you'll do it now you also have to be taught that you can switch If you're not taught switching, you'll ignore it. So I can teach you to pick this one and then pick that one. But if I haven't taught you to switch, you won't switch. So there's research that shows you have to be taught to switch too. So what made highly likely is the switching. And so you get behaviors then that are matching, that look like matching, which are a function of these more induction types of of relations, as well as reinforcement then on the other other end of it. And the uh, and there's whole theories now that based upon that, that, they're, that it's these phylogenetically important events which are inducing the responses around them and and that is what is causing the behavior, not the strengthening by reinforcement. But that's a whole theoretical <laughs> mishmash that you don't want to get into at this point. <laughs> and for applied reasons probably doesn't have that much of an effect. But the implication is, however, is that organisms distribute their behavior among alternatives based upon how it pays off. They also do it by how much it costs. So there's costs and benefits attached to each alternative. The animal will switch back and forth, right? You can now take these schedules and put them in certain sequences. So I can have, let's say, a fixed interval schedule followed by a fixed ratio schedule. And I can put each one under a different house light color. Yes. So when it's red, it's it's the fixed interval. When it's green, it's the fixed ratio. And so you're operating under one, it's red. As soon as I stretch the green in, your pattern of behavior changes. All right. And so this is what's called a multiple schedule reinforcement where each component is signaled and you know exactly what you got to do
0: mm-hmm.
1: in each component, right? If I take that signal out...
2: Mm, Different picture.
1: It's called a mixed schedule. And now I'm reinforced on a ratio. Now I'm reinforced on an interval. But it's up to me to figure it out, which Mm. ones which, to maximize the reinforcement rate. Right? So, and, and for the least amount of work, most amount of food. So the animals will come under control of these mixed schedules. In other words... You know, a few reinforcers in, they say, "Oh, I see what's going on," <laughs> and they'll switch their behavior, right? But, um, but on the multiple schedules, it's it's right there. Now, there's a there's a a thing called a chain schedules as well, where one schedule has to occur, which then produces a signal for the next schedule, which produces the next signal for the next schedule, and so on. So you can chain these different schedules together. Right, But, unlike the multiple schedules where the reinforcer occurs under each condition, on the chain schedules, the reinforcers don't occur until all the schedules have been completed. So, I might have an Fi 22nd, followed by a VR 30.
2: That sounds like a game.
1: Then, (laughs) I'll get my reinforcer. But I have to do each. But each one is signal. So i know exactly what i have to do and this is a change schedule
0: Mm.
1: i can have a tandem schedule (laughs) this is i have to complete both in a particular sequence right but there's no signal and so i have to do my interval then i have to do the other one and then i get the food so and so you know there's those then there's conjunctive schedules this is where I have to do two schedules, but I can do them in any order. <laughs> and so and so you can see what they've done to these poor animals <laughs> in investigating all these. But it gives rise to all kinds of interesting behavior patterns and so forth. And it gives rise to all kinds of ways of understanding how precisely the environment comes to control behavior. And I would say the big takeaway from schedules work for me at least was how sensitive behavior is to these different arrangements if all things being equal in terms of response effort and so on are in place and so forth. Now, there's a thing called a concurrent chain schedule. Here, you can choose one of the others. And the first link is identical in both chains, but the second link is different. So I can go into, either one might have a, let's say, a fixed ratio ratio. 10. I do my 10 and complete that link. And now this one has a VI30. This one has a DRL20. Which one will I choose? In other words, the terminal link determines what the difference, not the first part. And so you can then utilize those to begin to evaluate the reinforcing value or the aversiveness of particular schedules or reinforcers. So you can have different reinforcers at the end. What's fascinating is that they'll have one where the terminal link will result in a, a sizable reinforcer in, let's say, alternative A and alternative B less of a sizable reinforcement, less reinforcement. So in a concurrent chain, oh, I'll choose A. But now I make both initial links FR10. Now we make both of our initial links in FR100. Well now, my choices become less determined, less, you know, it becomes such that, yeah, I get a bigger payoff here, but it doesn't control my behavior the same way it did when I had a, short of a shorter interval to get. In other words, I had to, if I have to wait longer to get to, to even though both of them are long, Right. the interval in the first part of the chain tends to depotentiate the value of that reinforcer. It makes them more equal so you get all these wild interactions mm. so all these things that you think are common sense about behavior and and why people do what they do and why organisms do what they do kind of you know it kind of goes well it depends <laughs> <laughs> it depends how i set it up and this is why i'm fond of saying you know well can you get this or you get this or whatever? i say well you get almost anything you want depends upon how you set it up, and so this is how what you the,
2: set it up. But also the history of the
1: right, subject. but you're setting up that history, right? Right. In the laboratory, I'm setting up the history <laughs> when I get an animal from you know I buy one up, you know from someone. I I don't know what the history is, but the but I'm but it's it, you can do a lot of things to make you know resilience stick itiveness Use a racial schedule, Mm. right?
0: This is definitely a good place to stop. Joe has illustrated well just how complex schedules of reinforcement can become. If your head is spinning, it's no wonder. The good news is there isn't a test at the end of this podcast. You aren't going to be quizzed on the definitions of the different schedules, The important takeaway is summed up in two simple words. It depends. Often when people ask for training advice, I know they want black and white answers. They want, you do this procedure and you will get this good outcome. If they found somebody who will actually give them recipes like that, then they head straight out to the barn and they implement the procedure. But instead of getting the expected good outcome, they get the reverse. Instead of the behavior getting better, it's now getting worse. What Joe has been describing can help us understand the it depends part of the training equation. So I'll repeat Joe's conclusion. What the study of schedules under control conditions show us is how precisely the environment comes to control behavior. They show us how sensitive behavior is to these different arrangements. It depends how you set things up. You can get this or you can get this. You can get almost anything you want. It depends upon how you set it up. Now, some people might find that to be a really discouraging and frustrating statement because they want answers. (laughs) They want those black and white recipes, but actually, I think this is an extraordinarily hopeful statement. Instead of feeling stuck down in the trenches with behavior you don't like, Joe is offering us a different way of thinking about behavior. It isn't fixed in the genes. It isn't even fixed in previous history. Change the environment, and flies that were bred to go up may end up going all over the place. Rats that are social may become aggressive, and aggressive rats may suddenly lend a helping paw pressing a lever. It's all in the schedules. It's all in how you set things up. This can be either very frightening or very hopeful, depending upon your perspective. It depends is an important message to hear. In the next episode, we're going to switch gears a little bit to talk not so much about schedules, but about shaping. So if your head is spinning now, just wait. But I'll give you a week to let things settle into place from this week's conversation before we shake things up even more. So until then, train well and have fun with your horses.